Hey everyone, welcome back to the Longevity Muscle Podcast. I'm Kenny, your host, and today we have a part two with Mitch Jarvis. This is a long-awaited episode. I've gotten a lot of inquiries about when is part two dropping with Mitch. Well, here it is. Make sure to check out part one if you haven't already. For those of you who don't know, Mitch is a professional natural bodybuilder with the PMBA. He is the 2023 Pro Overall World Champion and a 2021 Pro UK Champion. We get into a lot of great topics in this one, including contest prep, nutrition, training, the adjustments he made between contest seasons. So without further ado, we're going to get right into the episode. Enjoy. Mitch, how you doing, man? Yeah, good, thanks. You? Good, good. Been a while. It has been, yeah, a couple of years. Has it been that long? <laughs> I think so. I think it was last year. Was it straight after 2021? Yes. Season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was It was definitely last year, but I think it was in the earlier, earlier part, part of maybe. the year, if I remember. Yeah. But it could have yeah. been, actually. It could have been 2021. It could just be this time last year. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so how, how have you been? How's training? You just finished a contest. Yeah, so nine recently. weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Which I we'll did. Talk about. I, yeah, that's the one. So I came down for the worlds, and then it's like straight back into off season, and then building towards the next one. Nice, nice. So for the listeners yeah. who may not be aware, talk about that contest season, how it went, how long it took. You worked with Lee Williams. That's no secret. Talk about the duration of the contest prep, and then we'll get into some more details about that. So is the whole contest prep from start to finish was 24 weeks. I started a little bit earlier than than Lee wanted me to, um, just because I was kind of already starting to get things in motion. But yeah, 24 weeks. And it started off and it was it was a little bit more relaxed. So it was kind of like half prep. And then it really sort of, I guess, after 20 weeks out, it kind of really started to tighten, like, tighten up bit by bit. And how do you feel about the result? The end yeah, result. I was I was really happy. It's always nice when you come back and you know that you've made improvements. I think after 2021, one of the bits of feedback, I mean, obviously the feedback from there, you get lots of positive feedback, but I was trying to take out the things that, that we needed to work on. And basically, Lee and I came together and we basically said, we just need to come in that little bit tighter, um, make sure we still bring the fullness, we still bring sort of the balance and everything, but to make sure that that conditioning was sort of really, really sort of crisp. Right, right. Which it showed because there was the before and after from the previous contest season to your most recent one. And I'm not sure if it's because you were leaner or you'd put on more size. What do you think it was specifically? I it's a combination of the two. I think I'd I'd worked hard in the off season to try and build more muscle, to try and put it in the right places as well. I'd worked hard on my posing to make sure that, you know, what I was presenting, what I was bringing to the stage showed um, the improvements that I'd made. But also, yeah, coming in that little bit tighter. And I think getting used to how to prep and making sure that I was making the most of the time that I was dieting down and taking my time with that and doing it even slower than previously just sort of made sure that the end result was that little bit better as well. Mm. So you would say that by dieting longer, you were able to probably, if I had to use my experience as well with this end knowledge, prevent muscle loss along the way, right? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it for me. I started dieting on higher food, so I kept my food higher. I wasn't worried about the weight coming off as quickly as before because I knew I had a little bit longer to do it. I started in a better place as well in terms of body weight, in terms of how lean I was. It just made for a more comfortable prep, and it meant that we could kind of sail into the show 
uh, without having to worry about chasing condition because it was already there. So how lean, sorry, let me back that up for a second. <laughs> you would say that how heavy did you get in your off season? That's what I want to know. And I'm sure the listeners are curious because you said that you stayed closer to stage weight. What did that look like for you specifically? So what was your stage weight? What was your top off season weight before the diet? Yeah. So in 2021, when I competed, I was around 75 kilos. So are we talking 165 pounds? Okay. Something like that. And then from there, I basically took my weight up. The maximum I hit was about 89 kilos, 90 kilos, maybe like when I'm waking up. So it was like just under 200 pounds. So I put on about 30 pounds. That was my maximum. I did that and I sort of pushed it up and then I pulled it back down. I did it a couple of times actually throughout the year, just because, you know, the summer was quite hot. So I was getting quite uncomfortable. I was struggling to eat food. I was just didn't feel like I was progressing. So I thought now's the time to kind of scale it back down. I brought it back down to about 86 kilos. And then from there, I did sort of one little push back up towards 89 as well. And then ahead of the prep, Lee said that he wanted me to start a little bit lighter. So kind of throughout, I guess, December time, I kind of pulled it back down to start at 86 kilos for the prep. And then my stage weight this year was 77. So I was up about two kilos. Right, right. So for the mathematics on this real quick, because I can't do it off the top, 86 kg was kind of where you pulled it back Yeah, that to. was my starting point for prep. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's like a 180, so 190 pounds-ish, 189 pounds. Would yeah. you say that's where you started? Wow. So that's so, where I was on January 1st. So you got as heavy as 200 pounds almost. So that's like... What is that from your first contest? Okay, from your second, 167, 165 pounds. So you were pretty far away from stage weight at your top end heavy bulk. Or sorry, at your yeah. top end heavy off season. Yeah, it was about 30 pounds. It got to the point, I think my body's quite happy getting up to a certain body weight and then it becomes a bit of a slog. And it's trying to find the balance of am I putting on good weight? Is this weight that's, you know, gonna help build muscle, or am I just putting on more fat and pushing it further away from being able to kind of diet back down. So I kind of tried to toe the line with that and make the most of that. But yeah, that's kind of where it was for me. I think any heavier and I really would have, I don't think there would have been any benefit from it. But if I'd have stayed a lot lighter, I'm not sure I would have made the improvements that I did. Right. Is it fair to say that Lee's an advocate of staying a little bit lighter in the off season? Yeah, I think, yeah, Lee wouldn't push it much further than that. And I think it's that's good for me because there's lots of, you know, you see all sorts. You see people that stay, you know, two or three kilos away from stage condition. Um, you see people that push it up. So they're sort of 50, 60, 70 pounds over. And I think finding a balance between the two and wherever your body's most comfortable being is something that I would advocate. And I think Lee's helped me with that. So he's he's pretty cool with you staying 30 pounds away at the most. <laughs> Not staying 30 pounds away. He just said that before we prep, he said at this point, when we're 20 weeks out, I want you to be, and then this body weight, because I feel like this will be a reasonable starting point for the prep. Got yeah. it. So it's kind of like you touched it and then you're pretty much coming back down right from there. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And that first few kilos to lose was, it was easier to lose it than to maintain it. So for me, it was like, okay, I'll push it up a little bit and then I'll bring it back down as we... We start to kind of tighten up. 
the diet and everything before we start prep. Okay, nice, man. So that's interesting because obviously you need to have a substantial amount of, I want to say weight, but like, yeah, there's some body fat that needs to be put on in order to maximize your potential to grow muscle in the off season. Where that is, I guess that depends on how long you've been doing this. Because if I look at you and I don't know if those photos that you had posted, I think you were like on a beach or something like that. Was yeah. that is was that like eighty six kg eighty three k was that that was around eighty six or eighty seven so I think I okay. pushed it a little bit a little bit further than that uh, that was actually one of the times that I brought it down we had a holiday I knew it was going to be hot I didn't want to be uncomfortable for sure and eat, you know keeping up the with the food I know it's an all inclusive holiday but keeping up with good food is is difficult anyway and I knew that you know I wasn't it was going to be my sort of time off so. I kind of brought my body weight down just a couple of kilos and sort of for that holiday I was about 86 87 and then I pushed it back up after our summer was pretty much done just for one one extra push but cuz you looked really lean like beach lean so you yeah. that's what it looked like so even at 25 pounds or 20 pounds away from stage weight that's what it was roughly yeah. right yeah 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 a little bit more maybe more towards 25 i think Oof. so that like you either have really good body fat distribution or (laughs) yeah that's what i'm thinking or yeah of course you're carrying a lot of muscle on you too for a natural bodybuilder you're definitely up there as far as the elite that you know that we would look at and say well you would even question some people are questioning (laughs) i've questioned you before right and do anybody who's in natural bodybuilding knows that uh, you're natural. That's not that's not what I'm getting into. It's just more like the way you distribute body fat, I think, is definitely advantageous for bodybuilding. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Not to cut yeah. you off, but I think that's where people, they look at you and they think, whoa, how is that possible? Because, and uh, there's only a few guys that I know who can distribute, bo- who have that um, genetic advantage, if you will, for how they distribute body fat. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say it. It goes straight back on, and it sits on my lower back, um, ah. and it sits sort of on my glutes and the top of my hamstring. So my quads stay quite lean, my arms and sort of lower legs stay lean, and then yeah, kind of across my shoulders and chest. That's that's fine. It's just um, it's yeah, it, the pockets behind. But for me, that's when I know that I'm getting towards stage condition is when mm. those last little pockets start to kind of hollow out a little bit. But yeah, my lower back is very very different. So. I'm posting a front double biceps, but a rear double biceps would look a very, very different picture. Got it. Okay. And what about the lower abdominal region? Do you store body fat there? Like most, well, I would say most men, but obviously you got the, like you had said, the, uh, I'll just use this term just for layman's term, but like the love handles, that area. But I'm talking more towards the, the front side, like lower abdominal wall. Yeah, no, that stays quite lean as well. Nice. Um, nice. I think I'd have to really push my body fat up for that to start to really look different. But yeah, luckily, I think sort of my abs and that sort of everything from the front stays relatively lean. It all just sits at the back. Okay. Has it always been like that for you or has it changed over time? Uh, Pretty much. I think it's the first time I've really dieted down to that kind of condition was 2020. So I've only done it three times now. Um, and each time it's been pretty similar in terms of where the fats come off. But, you know, as a gymnast, I was always relatively lean because yeah. everyone's looking at the same things. They're just looking at your abs um, and like across your chest and your shoulders and, and arms. And that's 
that's kind of the main metric. But if they look at your lower back or your your glutes and your hamstrings, it's yeah, that's where I store fat. Right, right. How was your nutrition during that time? As far as like, did you do a lower fat, higher carbohydrate, relatively speaking, of course, or was it the reverse? Yeah, so I'm I'm more low fat, high carb in it. I still have very high protein as well. So my protein is I'm always pushing that high, but I'm keeping my carbs kind of almost level with it. So slightly more carbs than protein, but it's not far off. And then fats is just enough. It's what I need to be able to function. And then I kind of I kind of utilize the extra calories through carbs. Okay. And your protein got up as high as up to sort of 300 um so between 250 to 300 but again some days it would be slightly higher some days slightly lower depending on if i'd had sort of i guess like a fattier meat or something like that so like if i'd had eggs or salmon or something like that then obviously my fats would be slightly higher my protein would be slightly lower but yeah anywhere between 250 275 300 i think i touched on some days but yeah yeah, I remember Lee mentioning that he's an advocate of pushing the protein quite high, especially when in reference to you specifically, he was saying he whacked your protein up and there was a bit of a difference as far as how you looked uh, as far as body composition. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. It was one of the first things that we did um, when we started working together in 2021. Um, and I think we just noticed that it starts to, as especially as you're dieting down, it starts to give you that look that kind of I guess it yeah I don't know if it helps with obviously retaining muscle as you're dieting down but also just getting that kind of harder drier look towards the end of the prep it's it whatever he did it worked <laughs> yeah yeah and in the off season would you say your protein's slightly lower than that I try and keep it about the same my off season's a little bit more relaxed in terms of my diet so I don't in the off season I'm not tracking calories I've got a rough idea in my head I eat similar foods um to prep as I do uh, in the off season, but I'm not sitting on my fitness pal and buttoning everything in and and kind of worrying about it too much. I think for me, it's it's good to kind of have that time away from doing all of that and just kind of focusing on nailing the basics and the consistency of that. I think is the main thing in the off season. Yeah, that makes sense. And in the contest prep, you're tracking fats, protein, and carbs, not just calories, right? Yeah, that's it. I'm tracking my macros. I'm tracking calorie intake. And yeah, that's quite sort of, I'm tightening it up and it's almost like flicking the switch. For me, that's why I started 24 weeks out because that was like the 1st of January. And I knew that that point was 24 weeks before competition. So I thought, right, well, why not? New year. That's it. Day one um, of prep started on the 1st of January. And I kind of took that through. As far as your... What was I going to say? Protein intake. I was going to say, oh, that's quite a lot of meat that you got to eat, no? <laughs> like for it to hit that protein target. Yeah, there is. But um, it's a combination of sort of the meat and then um, like, I guess, like protein shakes and like okay. protein powders. Um, so like whey and casein protein and using those just to kind of plug the gaps. But yeah, it. it's a fair amount of meat. <laughs> yeah. So you'll you'll throw in a couple shakes. That makes it a bit easier to hit that target. Yeah. Yeah. hundred okay. percent. Um, nice. like breakfast every morning was like oats with whey protein in it. So it kind of gets you off to a good start. Right, right. For sure. For sure. Did you have any guilty pleasures uh, during contest prep that you would sneak in as far as your intake is concerned? Like I know not s- as much. 
Yeah, okay. so I mean, previously I've had little bits, but this year I tried to keep those as clean as possible. So towards the end of the prep, we were kind of getting towards summer and it was getting a bit warmer. And I started getting, it was like Icelandic yogurt, um, skier yogurt, putting protein powder in um, and like a little bit of um, like kefir probiotic stuff, stirring it all in, putting some berries and fruits in and then sticking in the freezer. And then if I sort of stirred it every couple of hours or something, it'd come out and it'd be something like ice cream. Um, okay. And it got to the point in prep. I mean, the last four, six, eight weeks, anything like that tastes amazing. So I was sat there going, "Oh, this is amazing! It's like chocolate ice cream." But yeah, yeah. I'm sure, it actually didn't taste anything like chocolate ice cream. But that was enough for me, and it ticked the box for something sweet and a bit of a treat. Nice, nice. I feel like when you're dieting, you need to have something like that to it. Just keeps you sane. Like for me, it's uh, just a smidge of dark chocolate in my oatmeal. And that's like yeah. enough to, that's enough to kill like a lot of cravings and you feel satiated with that. That's my thing personally, but I know there's like, yeah, everybody's got their own thing, but that's pretty cool. So obviously you're not done. Like you went to the world, you took, you took first, right? Yeah. 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 That was, yeah. You, you crushed that. What's the next step for you now? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I, so that was my goal after 2021, I came second at worlds and it was right. It was always the sort of world's 2023 was the next target. And it was obviously going to go and try and win the title. And then they, I think they announced it in the summer of 2022 that it was going to be in the UK. It was going to be like a home world championship. So for me, that was it. It was, I want to go to this comp. I want to do as well as possible. And I want to try and win the title. So that was kind of my goal and anything else that I did. I did think about maybe jumping into sort of classic physique in some of the untested federations and see how I did. I think that was kind of if I felt like there was something that I hadn't done or achieved or I hadn't quite kind of nailed it at Worlds. But I basically came off stage at Worlds and was like, that was brilliant. I feel yeah. like I'm done for now. I'm ready to go back into like an off season and focus on sort of life, that work and spending time with my wife Liv and all that sort of stuff. So for me, it was as soon as I'd finished that comp and done that, sort of tick that box and and achieved that, I was kind of ready to move on to the next thing. For me, I think now obviously going back into kind of an off season and, and focusing on building and coming back better. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll take another extended off season. So I'll take 2024 out. I think coming back, maybe 2025, I'll have a look at what competitions you know I'd like to do. I think still competing with the UK DFBA as part of the IMBA, PMBA. You know, the natural Olympia would be amazing if I could get over there for that time of the year, but it's just difficult with work and with life. For sure, for sure. I was going to say, I'd love to see you at WMBF Worlds, man, because you'd give people a run for their money for that world <laughs> title. All the OG natural bodybuilding pros that paved the way, if you will, that's where they started uh, a lot of them so it'd be kind of cool for you to just do both man like crush both yeah yeah i don't know there's different federations you hear things from everyone and i've kind of i've got the goals that i've set with that and sort of the the federations that i want to compete in that i feel align with what i want you're staying loyal to the pmba yeah okay the UK, the FBA as well <laughs> got it who did i talk maybe it was mark oaks but i i'm sure there was some reasoning like legitimate reasoning why the UK, the FBA went from the WMBF collab to the PNBA, IMBA, PNBA collab, right? Like it wasn't just, yeah. oh, let's just switch it up. There was a legitimate there reason. A reason. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then I understand why 
you would want to just go that route. So, yeah. um, cause I'm sure you have your, re- your reasons, right? Yeah. And I mean, I've only competed in UK DFBA, you know, their shows and what they do for the athletes has been brilliant. They really do it for the athletes and the whole thing is, is brilliant. I'm more than happy to compete, uh, in that federation. Cool, man. Nice. So I want to dive into what you had mentioned earlier, cause you were talking about bringing up some of those body parts from the first contest season to the next. What specific parts were you trying to bring up? I mean, for me, it was a lot of stuff from sort of the back. So we're talking hamstrings, glutes, lower lats, rear delts. There were things that I was looking at and going, I think, you know, this is something that we could improve. Um, And Lee obviously was giving me pointers on those as well and saying these are the areas where, you know, we could just tighten up a little bit. I think the, the danger is if you overdo something or if you push it too much and go, right, well, we'll really focus on this, something else could suffer um, or the overall balance of the physique could suffer. And that was something that I'd gotten comments saying, this is a real strength to your physique because um, I'm not the biggest guy on stage. I'm not carrying the most muscle on stage. It's about, I guess, for me, it's about the shape of it and making sure that everything flows and, and works together. But yeah, I think we were focusing on everything from sort of the back of the physique um and just trying to bring that up nice so we can get into those details like as far as the train on the training side of things what you did specifically to do to bring that up like what were you doing before and what did you tweak in order to make those improvements yeah i mean one of the main things was in terms of the split that i was doing i put in what i called a posterior day so that was kind of it was my fifth session of the week um i'd had um, or the way I kind of do it, I've got, it's like push, pull legs. And then after that, it's like another push session. Um, but it will be delt focused instead of chest focused. So I kind of mm. hit everything like that twice in a week. Um, and then that fifth session is just a posterior. And that's going to be like, um, back, but also with, um, hams and glutes as well. And then calves. Um, but basically, yeah. So it's kind of, it's half a leg session, half a pull session. Um, I don't worry about doing biceps again in that one. Um, they'll get hit a little bit from doing the pulling movements, but biceps isn't something that I needed to worry about too much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to focus more on sort of building up hamstrings and glutes. And that was an area because of my training, um, as a gymnast and then going into weights, um, for a long time, I avoided things like deadlifts, um, and variations because I'd had issues with my spine as a kind of a teenager so through gymnastics i had stress fractures in my lower back um and because of that i decided that deadlifts would be bad um because i'd start doing them with probably not the best technique um and then i noticed that that's when my back sort of was set off and i had issues so for me it was kind of building that up and making sure that i was kind of catching up um in those areas but yeah adding an extra day up in the frequency a little bit was the big kind of way of doing that for me Got it. And for those listening, if you want to know more about that story specifically with Mitch's uh, pre-existing injuries from when he was a gymnast, and we dive into way more things, go check out part one. So with the deadlift, though, you just started doing that as of recent. How does your spine feel? Oh, much better. Um, So that was something that I added in, um, I'd say, just after 2020 when I competed. Mm -hmm. um, And adding inconsistently because I've kind of inconsistently done it and it'd be like I'm going to do it for 
however many weeks and then I do a few weeks and I go actually this isn't working or my back's not feeling great and I think for me it was programming it sensibly and building into it um, over time Um, and then thinking about variations of it because what I've noticed for me is that I'm far better off doing a stiff leg deadlift pre-exhausting my hamstrings for example and then um, doing a stiff leg deadlift with a slightly lighter weight um, and being able to kind of really fatigue it through that as opposed to jumping in straight away doing a variation where I can lift the most weight possible um, and then just hurting myself from it so for me it's something that I've got to focus on targeting the muscle and making sure I get the most out of that exercise. Okay. I want to dive into that because, so basically you hit a leg curl before you go and do the stiff leg deadlift. Yeah. So it it gets some blood in my hamstrings. It gets them warmed up. um, And then I can really feel them when I'm doing the deadlift. And it means I think I've just, I find that I can connect better with them. Nice. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me because you hit the short end first because it's a two joint muscle. So you hit the short end fatigue that and then you go into the lengthened part of the uh, range right or completely different exercise in this case but you're hitting that lengthened uh, end and you're just going to feel it way more i do that specifically as well and i know some people are not an advocate of that but like you said there's there's many factors that can influence how that feels for someone and whether or not it's working out for them in a positive way but like you mentioned it's working well for you i know for me personally i I love that combination. Do you do that with any other body parts or was it, is it just the hamstring specifically? Yeah, no, I've, I've played around with it with other body parts. So chest, for example, I can sometimes start with like a cable fly um, and then use that as kind of the first few sets and really kind of making sure that those are hard sets um, as an isolation type exercise, um, go into sort of failure with it to pre-exhaust. And then, yeah, going into something like an inclined dumbbell press um and then just yeah i find that you can really feel the muscle working harder um and it's just trying to make sure that that's the limiting factor i think it's nice to do that and mix it up a little bit at times i i do tend to revert back to doing a compound movement at the start for something like that mm. um just because especially when i get into the off season um i like pushing on the heavier weights and it it does take the edge off that a little bit um but for me something like a stiff leg deadlift i find that if i push the weight too high first of all i probably end up just getting to the point where it affects like next week's training um or i find it more challenging to recover and i'm thinking well it's not necessarily that my hamstrings have worked harder it's my systemic fatigue's built up um so for me that's something where I can kind of get away with using a lighter load and still hammering my hamstrings if I kind of do it that way around. So, yeah, I've I've played around with it on every sort of different muscle group. I like to warm them up properly before I do that heavier exercise. Um, But I think, yeah, some muscle groups, I prefer doing it more than with others. Got it. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because, of course you have to consider the deadlift is like a full body exercise. So if you don't pre-fatigue it in that way, yet then you're literally like, it's very different than just like a dumbbell press, right? Where you're, it's not a full body exercise. So those are, those are two things that you need to, that, that's something you need people listening to consider when you're talking about this pre-fatigue, pre-exhaust, you can call it, but yeah. that's more supersetting. I think that's the terminology used when you go from like a pec flyer right into like a press with no rest. I think that's the traditional yeah. 
pre-exhaust definition. So we'll just call it pre-fatigue, I guess. But would uh, you were doing the sandwiching though, that Mike Isretel, you do a compound, then an isolation, then a compound again, right? Yeah, I still, so I've still been doing that. Um, I really like doing that for certain body parts. So chest's an example for that. Um, and I'll do, yeah, um, sort of an inclined dumbbell press, low inclined dumbbell press fly um, to start with. Then I'll go into a supported kind of cable fly or something that's more of an isolation movement. Um, and then I'll do another compound exercise where my chest's already pretty knackered and I can just get it to that point where it's the thing that definitely fails yeah. um, in the exercise. But for chest, for delts, I really like doing that. Um, and I find it does work well. Nice. With delts, you were doing it and how were you doing it specifically for delts? So delts, I think at the moment I'm starting with like a Smith machine like overhead. It's more of a high incline press, but it kind of more front delt. Um, and then I go into like a supported lateral raise. So I'll kind of even lean on the bench that I'm going to use to do the overhead press next. Um, and then I'll do the lateral raise for a few sets on that just to kind of really get my sort of side delts um, kind of pumped, feeling it. And then once they're kind of fatigued, um, I can then warm up and start doing the dumbbell um, overhead press. And I nice. find again that it means I can use, I use far less weight when I'm doing the dumbbell overhead press. Um, but it means that it's definitely my side delts that are failing. Um, yeah. and it's not, you know, my triceps or it, it, you can keep the, the tension on that muscle and you can make sure that it's definitely that that's going to sort of be the limiting factor. Right. I'd love to ask you this if you're open to being trans transparent with this question, because it's no secret. Your physique is incredible. It's elite. We already spoke about this world champion. As far as numbers are concerned, I remember you mentioning you don't, you're not necessarily the strongest guy, right? Like as far as when you compare to some of the other elite naturals, but yet you have this incredible development and you can stand on stage pretty much next to anyone. So what are some of those numbers just as a reference point so people can get an idea that it's not all about that, right? So because there's so many variables that play a role when we're talking about hypertrophy. So let's yeah. maybe for the people listening, if you're open to it, what are some of those numbers? Like on that first dumbbell press, what are you doing? What's the, what's the amount? So which one? The incline? The, first, the very first, yeah. The very first yeah. press, you're fresh and you go right yeah. into that first uh, compound. I mean, for that one, I would stick to something like 50 kilos if I'm going okay. in fresh. So for me, I'm doing, is it <laughs> what? Pretty heavy. 115s? One, maybe one, yeah, one. Yeah. But if we're talking, say, overhead press, um, the most I've done is the 47 and a half kilo dumbbells. Okay. Overhead press. And that's when I'm completely fresh. That was peak off season. That was like the heaviest set. And I was like, I finally managed to get these overhead. Um, if I'm doing the pre-fatigue, I've, I've been doing what two sets with 32 and a half kilo dumbbells. Okay. So what, 70, 75 pounds. Yes. Um, and again, that's, that's enough to challenge me within the target rep range that I've got, which is like an eight to 12 um, okay. kind of range. So it, when I do that, it means that I get to take off a little bit of that load um, of those dumbbells. And I think what I've noticed is that my joints feel better for it. So I'm not getting the same aches and pains that I was in the joints. All of that pain, all of that fatigue, all of that that I wake up with the next day, the DOMS is in the muscle. So it's all the 
the kind of the target area, everything that you want. Um, but my joints have felt great since I've started training a little bit more this way. Um, and it's the same with the deadlifts. I'm so stiff leg deadlifting. The most I think I do is about 400 pounds um, with that. Whereas I've seen guys that are lifting, you know, six, 700 pounds um, and doing some crazy sets there. But I think being able to use the hamstring curls and I'm not built for deadlifting. So the numbers that I'm lifting with deadlifts is kind of irrelevant to the next person because we've all got completely different biomechanics. Right. Um, we do things in different ways. Um, but it's about just whatever works for you. And the numbers do matter to a degree, but only compared to what you were lifting last week or before, because it's about you progressing from what you did a month ago or a year ago and, and kind of looking at that over time as opposed to looking at what someone else has lifted on Instagram. And it, it really doesn't matter. I love that. That's perfect. And also what you mentioned as far as comparing it to what you were doing before. So you're doing this pre-fatigue uh, method, if you will. Okay, well, yeah, you're lifting less than you would normally lift if you had not done the pre-fatigue. But guess what? If two months from now or a month from now, those 32 kg dumbbells that you were talking about where you do the pre or the isolation before becomes yeah. 34 or 36 over time, let's just say, even with that pre-fatigue, i.e. you did the isolation before, then that's progress. That's that's amazing. With the same level of intention and focus on the goal specific muscles right so that i love i love that yeah that's exactly it and i think i always when i log my training i always put a little number to say which order i've done the exercises in um because some days you get in the gym and you can't get on something first so you know you might have to swap it and there might be a session where i walk in and the smith machine's being used so i'll start with the dumbbells then i'll do the lateral raises then i'll do the smith machine um right. i wouldn't ever compare that number or the numbers i'm lifting to the previous week if i've switched the orders around so for me i try and keep it in the same order but if i can't that's fine um but then i'll adjust the loads that i'm lifting on each exercise kind of to match that okay so you have like a few different versions of the training session and then when you can go back to that version that you weren't able to do let's say for a week or two you'll just look at the log and see okay let me try and beat that yeah, exactly. Okay. So I know that if I'm doing a lateral raise first, the dumbbells that I'm going to be lifting are going to be about 10 kilos lighter. So I know how that's going to affect my body. And that's kind of something you just build up over time, I think. Yeah, that's great. People think that, oh, they need to stick to this order. Well, have a few different versions just in case. I mean, you're in a public gym. It's not like for those who don't have the home gym and the epic setups at home, you got to I think that's something you need to consider and it'll ease yeah. the mind as well. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. And nice. I don't I don't think just because you've walked in there and you might have won a title or something, or it doesn't mean you've got a right to a machine over anyone else. So you right. don't you shouldn't expect to be able to get onto any piece of kit that you want just because um nice. unless it is your home gym. Right, right. No, that's great, man. So do you do any sort of pre-fatigue? with the back as well like with your lats i know some people like to do like a pullover before row is that something you yeah do? yeah I'll, I'll warm up with a pullover um i it, basically it just gets me to kind of engage with my lats a little bit more so it could be that i do a pullover um it could be that i do a couple of sets of pull-ups or something um and in those i'm just really kind of focusing on doing it nice and slow sort of the tempo of the lift 
um, controlling the negative, really sort of stretching out the lats. Um, and I do find that that helps. Um, but yeah, I don't use it quite in the same way. I don't think um, I can get my back quite as fatigued with those. Um, so it's it's more relying on those heavier rowing movements um, and then the pull downs as well. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it really is body part specific, right? If I think, and also what do you have access to? Like, I know for yeah. me, if I have access to a really well-designed pullover machine, I'm using that first majority of the time because it, I really love that A and B. I noticed a big difference as far as how it feels from going from that, then going to like a row or something of that nature next. So it, it depends, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, you walk into a gym and there's a really cool piece of kit, like a pullover machine. You think, actually, I'm going to start with that. Um, and yeah, it, it does make a difference if you've got access to it. But I think everyone's different as well. So people engage with with different muscle groups differently. So it's just finding what works for you and your body. Nice. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's words of wisdom right there. Now, on that note, there was a time where you were doing flat barbell bench press. And I remember you made a post, I think, or maybe we were talking about it last time. Actually, no, because when we were talking about when we were talking last time, you were doing that still. So what made you shift from the flat barbell bench to the dumbbell specifically for the listeners who may not know? Yeah, so it's a weird one because I when I started, it was a, quite a limited gym that I was in. And the dumbbells, I think, only went up to 30 kilos. So mm. I kind of I didn't really have access to heavier dumbbells. So for me, it was all about barbell bench press. And and I did a lot of I did all my heavier work with that. And then after I did you know lighter work with um with the dumbbell so I kind of always did that as I was going along um and obviously everyone just the first thing they ask is how much can you bench so you want to be able to give an answer to that but yeah I I found that my shoulders were starting to hurt a little bit more um and I think I've had a shoulder injury in the past and I've had a shoulder surgery and and there's a bolt holding it together so for me finding a way that I can challenge my chest without challenging my shoulder joint um is is kind of the best way of doing that and i've found that over time i got used to doing the dumbbell um bench press and being able to kind of you know tuck in um my shoulders a little bit more and get more out of my chest um and less less through the shoulders um and yeah i know it's quite popular at the moment anyway um people are talking about which exercises or variations are the best for the muscle groups i think that's a good conversation to have um provided you're still training hard you're still pushing that hard um it should never be a substitute for hard work but it should be a way of trying to limit injury risk limit you know kind of using other muscles or or taking the tension away from the muscle that you're trying to target but i've noticed that using a low incline dumbbell press um and really focusing on execution on that has made i think a big difference for me in terms of my chest development Nice. Because you were talking about sliding in a isolation between two pressing exercises, right? Do you yeah. also find that that is helpful as far as just acute fatigue as well? Like I know for me specifically, if I combine two pressing exercises back to back, like I'm, I'm not really getting much out of the second press because it's kind of redundant. Personally speaking, I don't have that same experience with rows though, or pull downs, if you will. And maybe because the back is more complex in that regard, like changing, going from a pull down to a row, it's like almost like you're biasing completely different muscles. One is more traps and the other is more, well, lats and teres, depending on how you're doing it, of course, and triceps uh, 
to a degree, but what's your experience with that? Because I know you could, you do all your pushing in one day, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've got two different days, the pushing exercises, I'll do one heavier one to start. And you're right. If I went straight into another push sort of extra pressing exercise, and it was as heavy as it could possibly be. And I was really loading that one as well. I think again, you'd, you get more of a buildup of just general systemic fatigue. So mm. I found that that really helped manage that a little bit. I mean, the main thing I, I would be okay doing, I think two pressing movements back to back, but I think the main thing is the number of sets that I've been doing as well. So taking that down and taking my volume down in each session, but really trying to make sure that each set has got more intensity and it's more targeted that's helped as well in terms of managing that. Okay. And what does that look like as far as the sets per exercise at this point? Generally, it's two sets per exercise. So um, two working sets. And I'll do one, well, if it's the first exercise, I'll do two or three um, warm-up sets. But if it's if it's kind of in the middle of the workout, I'll do one warm-up set where I'm just doing a few reps to kind of get used to the machine or used to whatever movement it is um where i take the weight down to kind of 50 to 75 percent depending on what it is and then i'll just yeah really focus on getting the movement pattern and kind of really getting used to holding the stretch position for a second and getting a feel for it and then when i go into the working sets both of those will kind of be really pushing it to to failure sort of muscular failure so that's kind of my approach now okay so if you were to go from like, let's say a press to another press, the second pressing exercise, you're only going to, even if it's a completely different angle, maybe it's even on a completely different piece of equipment. Like it's not dumbbells and then dumbbells again, like dumbbells. And then maybe it's a hammer strength or a machine. I'm not sure what you're doing specifically, but would you on that second exercise, you would just hit one warm up set and then go right into the working? Generally. Yeah. I think. It won't be a completely different set of muscles. So whatever I am using, whether it's been from like an incline um, to an overhead press, my front delts are going to be warm from that anyway. If I feel like I need to take another warm-up set, if I went, actually, I want to just make sure I know the seat's in the right position on the Smith machine, I'll do it with just the bar every time. But most exercises, most movements, because they're the same movements that I use each week, it's the same kit that I use each week. I'm quite happy just to do one warm-up set, get get a feel for it, and then I know that the next set I'm ready to go. And mentally as well, I've got feel for it. I've sat in the chair. I I know what you know to expect, and then yeah, just making sure that I'm going all out on that. You know, both of those sets. Okay, so if you were to break that down, because you were talking about how you're using similar equipment each week, what? are you doing as far as like, let's take your push day. Would you go like from that dumbbell press, for example, you go to the, well, you kind of explained it. Then you go to the cable and then you go back to, is it like a dumbbell or is it like a machine press at that point? um, Yeah. Like a machine, like plate loaded incline press. I don't know, like a Hammersmith type press, but yeah, it's, I mean, when you get to that point, the machines are so different. If I was using different gyms and different kinds of kit, I would take more warm-up sets, but I know exactly what I can lift on that. So I start with one plate, and then for me, two plates on that is ridiculously heavy. So that's my kind of my top set, and Um, that would just be after one warm-up. Gotcha. And then do you do like a back-off set after? Do you keep the same weight for the second set? The second set on that one, um, I'll take off 10 kilos on each side. So I'll take off half a plate, 
and then I aim for a few more reps. So yeah, it's like a five to eight reps and then it's like eight to 12. So ah. I will play around with changing that. So I'm not sort of stuck on, I will always do these two rep ranges, but when I'm kind of writing down my program and coming up with my target rep range, I'll try and get a balance for it across the whole program. So I've got a mixture of lower reps and higher as well as sort of middling um, with that. And sometimes I'll do two straight sets where it is the same weight and I'm trying to keep within the rep range. Um, So it could be like, I don't know, eight to 12 and I'll just do two sets and I might get 11 on the first set and scrape eight on the second set or something like that. But it depends how I kind of decide it when I write it down. Okay. Yeah. I guess it also depends on, the body part, what you're working and how that feels, relatively speaking, like you mentioned, maybe on certain body parts, the back offset actually feels really good. It works well for you. But then on a different exercise, straight sets make more sense, right? Yeah, that's it. And as well, like I'll start adding in things like um, a drop set as well sometimes. So if I'm trying to, if I think actually at this point, you know, it's good, but I'm towards the end of the workout and I want to really get the last little bit out of it i can add like a drop set or a triple drop set um just to sort of finish off so i will use some intensifiers as i go through but i kind of drip feed them throughout the session nice nice yeah okay that makes sense so let's talk about you mentioned it already but just to clarify the rep range for most compound lifts is that five to twelve ish range yeah yeah i don't go below five anymore there was okay. a time when when I was training quite a bit for strength. But yeah, it was before I started competing as a bodybuilder, my training was somewhere between powerlifting and bodybuilding. So I was doing sets where I was working up to like a heavy single, then doing a back off set of a couple of sets of three or something. So I've done that in the past, but I don't really go below five now. Got it. I think that was not too long ago too, right? Like you were doing that maybe the last time I spoke to you. I probably wasn't doing it then. I'd have done it in up to 2020 like 2020 that kind of time and then when I started competing because I wasn't sure if I was going to be any good at bodybuilding so I entered this competition in 2020 um seven weeks out did a seven week prep and then from there it was kind of like actually you really need to train like a bodybuilder um in terms of the way that I'm doing it and it's it's still pushing it hard and with high intensity but making sure that I'm not going to snap myself up Right, right. I think that's right. When we were talking, you were talking about the past. And that's why I remember this conversation, because it was relative to what you were doing previously. But as far as you mentioned not snapping yourself up, that's very important. But how important is it that for, okay, obviously, you can't take away your experience of visiting those low rep ranges. But do you think that was a big component of building the foundation of your physique like building up that strength to a certain point because like okay i know it's relative to what you were once doing like we talked about and not comparing yourself to others but you're lifting some heavy loads man 400 pound deadlifts 120 pound dumbbells presses like that's heavy stuff right so it's heavy duty right so how important was that phase if you will where you were focusing on building up that strength when i finished gymnastics i had a reasonably sort of well-developed upper body and then from kind of the waist down it was like like a drain pole so my legs were really small um they were weak and when I started kind of lifting it was you know 100 kilos on a squat was was heavy and that I could only do it for sort of a few reps and Mm. for me that was where I had to really make 
some improvements in my strength. And that's when I noticed that I started to then grow. I think building up that strength over sort of the few years that I really focused on it was important. And I think I needed to do that. If if I'd done that from an earlier age or if I was kind of focusing on that and doing more with my legs throughout the kind of the period before that, I don't know whether I'd have needed to do so much of that. But I think it helped catch me up to a point where my legs were strong enough um, that I could then train them hard enough to kind of make sure that they they grew and caught up um, with the upper body. In terms of like upper body and like, I don't know, like pressing strength, that was something I never really had to do too much focused strength training because yeah, I, I could walk into a gym as a teenager, bench 100 kilos, and I hadn't done it you know before. It was, but that was from the gymnastics. That was from hanging on the rings and doing you know the crucifix and handstands and all sorts for the last 10 years. So I think it was very different for me with that. But in terms of building up legs size, I think getting the strength in place first and learning how to squat properly and learning how to kind of really kind of use the muscles effectively was important for me um, before kind of adding the size. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting conversation because people, I think, have this, maybe there's a misconception that in order to get bigger you need to get stronger to a degree we know this right but there is a component of if you're doing something that's getting the muscle bigger even though you're not doing sub five repetitions like let's say you're working in that one to five rep range or one to four rep range and you're working within let's say what you were even if you're doing uh 10 plus reps right if that's enough to cause a hypertrophic response then a bigger muscle is going to be a stronger muscle. It's going to be able to produce more, more force. So if you go back to those lower reps, they work together. Like you can get, you can get bigger with the 10 plus reps working in that range. And then if you ever visit that one to five rep range again, you should not now at the beginning, maybe there's a skill component. Yeah. There, there might be a, a, you might notice, Oh, maybe you're not lifting as much potentially depending on the gap and how long of a gap you took. But you should see that uh, you actually are stronger, I think. Yeah, I am. Um, it is a skill. So being able to pull a heavy deadlift is a skill, um, as well as requiring a hell of a lot of strength. But I noticed that, you know, I was I switched to sort of a stiff leg deadlift. I focused on tempo. I focused on, you know, I took the weight down from, you know, trying to push up to sort of 210, 220 um, kilos right down to sort of 160 170 180 and I kind of did the work through there and I would say that I'm stronger now than I was in the past um but I'm not lifting as heavy weights so in terms of squats and deadlifts and bench press I'm not pushing the same you know one rep max if you ask me tomorrow right can you beat what you did um however long ago maybe in terms terms of the skill my body's not quite used to it hmm. but if you said right i'm going to give you two or three weeks um get used to doing heavier deadlifts or get used to doing heavier singles for squat with maybe like a low bar technique so that you can use different muscles and focus on shifting load i think i would be able to push more than i did in the past i'm, I'm stronger now and i know that i am but right i don't need to do that <laughs> right right and because you're also carrying a lot more muscle than you were so that yeah. in and of itself allows you to be able to, if you train for that, you'll see a substantial increase relative to what you did before, right? Yeah, that's it. 
or a degree um, to a degree you'd see that you can lift more than you did before yeah that's it yeah. but um but i know you know i pop i jumped onto um like a barbell flat bench just to be like oh you know the the dumbbells are moving much easier um let's see what this is like and this was just after i'd competed um or a few weeks after i competed um and i didn't feel as good the bar just mm. didn't feel comfortable um it it wasn't as it didn't feel like as natural a movement um as with the dumbbells and yeah i couldn't lift as much weight as before i think i got to 140 um and i moved it for a single and thought this isn't it's just not clicking and mm. you know if i were to do it for a couple of months yeah it'd be fine and i probably could push more than i have in the past um but equally i just don't think it's worth it um right. for me risk of injury um and whether it's actually as good for developing my chest as as the dumbbells are right right yeah yeah and um see this is what this is interesting and it, it, because i was just speaking to rob hope which i don't know if you caught that episode yeah. yet yeah i watched that one yeah yeah and he loves he loved and he specifically worked in that lower rep range that i think it was like four to six sometimes he's even tapping into the twos yeah. so but you know what I what's interesting about that, and obviously everybody's going to be different with their again pre-existing injuries, how that's going to relate to certain things like working in the low reps versus the higher reps, especially if you're doing max effort stuff. But if you're doing, let's say, these low reps, maybe that works for certain exercises. Like I find that with for me at least, when I'm working with dumbbells, any sort of pressing, I like to be in that four to six rep range. And if I go any higher than that, what's interesting about that is I see no progress for months on end. But if I stay in the four to six, I just notice that I can progress much better than if I stay in a higher rep range. But that's not the case with all body parts it's or, or all exercises. That's just a specific yeah. example, right? So I don't know if you have experience with that or is it like all body parts for you? You kind of notice that this is that sweet spot for you, the, these higher reps relatively speaking the and five is not yeah. high necessarily but oh yeah so i mean the five is kind of the lowest that i'd go so four or five um and there have been exercises where I've, I've jumped up the load and i've only gotten three and a half and i've been squeezing out trying to get a fourth rep it's not happened i mean i'll take that as a starting point i'm not kind of against you know having three and a half reps um as long as it's pushing really close to the failure um mm. that's i think the main thing but that's the common thing i think with you know you know guys that have built physiques from really low reps or higher reps it's about how close it is the intensity of the set how close it is to getting to muscular failure so it's about achieving that kind of sort of mechanical tension where you're really pushing the muscle to the point where it cannot contract harder or cannot contract any more in it that's kind of it that's your limiting factor but one of the things that I've kind of focused or started implementing is not thinking about how many reps can I do with a certain weight. Instead, it's how can I make sure that I fail and that I cannot do another rep within this target rep range. So mm. it could be a case of I've got these dumbbells, I'm doing this inclined chest press. My target rep range is six to eight. If I lift them in a certain way, I could get 12 reps. If I cut the rep short, if I squeeze and kind of tuck my shoulders in and if I kind of bounce a little at the bottom, I could squeeze out 12 reps, 13 reps, 14 reps. But if I was to really slow it down, if I was to kind of hold it at the bottom and get comfortable in that stretch position, drive up at the top, not lock out fully, just keep the tension on the pec, 
and then take it down really, really slowly each time within reason. Okay. Not like a 30 second descent, but if I'm able to make that rep harder and get to a point where I completely fail at nine and a half reps, I've done a much better job than if I'd have done 15 reps and gone brilliant. I can write that in my logbook um, because I did one more than last week. Um, mm. If, if I kind of cheated my way through that set. That makes sense. So you're about standardizing, making sure the right muscles are engaging, yeah. making sure you're controlling throughout the full range. Those are all important things, right? All things, so, yeah. Just trying to make it harder. So trying to make it harder instead of making it heavier. That's kind of right. my main thing now. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, and obviously the demographic listening to this, there's going to be a mix of advanced and maybe beginners. And when I say advanced, I'm talking professional level bodybuilders who've been training for maybe 10 plus years and have a good understanding of training and nutrition and all that good stuff. But if we're talking about, like, I don't want people to get the wrong idea as far as when you're doing something like how you're mentioning, like that's always going to take priority, if you will. You want to make sure you're controlling the reps. There's a level of awareness to the area you're trying to work to a degree. Of course, when you're doing really, if you're doing lower reps, like the four to six, let's just say for someone who might be doing that for a specific time frame, you're not going to feel it as much as if you're doing eight plus reps. Like you're just not building up as much metabolites, if you will, in that area in order to get a sensation, assuming you're doing all the right things that contribute to that. And there is a nutritional component to getting a pump as well. So I think that also has to be considered. But what I'm trying to get at for those listening, don't go too far on one extreme where you're trying where you're you're staying with the pink dumbbells like uh, this is an extreme example yeah. for weeks and weeks on end because you're trying to make that harder there has to be a, a balance between the two ends if you will you don't want to just increase load and get reckless with that but you also don't want to get reckless with now i just want to feel this upper pec fiber contract you know and yeah. i know you're not saying that mitch but maybe someone is misinterpreting potentially what's being said and yeah I just want to add that in to maybe avoid that for someone who's new that's listening. Yeah, that's it. I think, and that's why we don't, we don't all train 50 reps on an exercise. We don't, we don't all train in a certain way with barely any load. We're not all just there doing press ups with no weight, just right. to try and, just try and fill a pump. But um, I think that was one of the things that I kind of, I wrote down when I started the off season after 2021 um i said that i was going to do i was going to cut jump volume because i was doing too much of that um i was doing three sets of an exercise just for the sake of it that's right Um, i remember that and also focusing on just challenging the muscle and getting to failure not making it like an emotional experience i don't need to kind of go into too much of a drama when i'm doing it but it's it's about making sure that i am pushing it to the point where that intensity is there and I cannot do another rep. And I think that's what I've really noticed has helped um, in my training. I'm doing less total sets. I'm not doing exercises or things just for the sake of it. My sessions are shorter now than they were two years ago. Um, I'm in and out of the gym in an hour to an hour and 15 generally. Um, Some sessions like my shoulder push session is generally about 50, 55 minutes. But I don't worry too much about the time it takes. But I know that I've got about an hour, maybe a little bit longer for legs, for example, before I'm going to start to tail off. So I need to make the most of that time that I am working. And yeah, focusing on the quality of the sets, the quality of the movement 
and whether that exercise is actually going to do something for me or whether I'm doing it because it gives me a nice pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. It's uh, interesting because I have like two days, like one day where I am focusing on the lower rep ranges for certain exercises and then another day where I will make it a priority. Like I just want to get a pump. Like I literally, yeah. that is the goal. I want to, I want to get a pump, but still abiding by these principles of, is there progress within yeah. this framework? Right. It's not just, let me go mindlessly randomly get a pump. That's not what it is. It's there's, there's progression in place, but it's within the framework of sensation. Like, do I, am I, if I'm just feeling elbow or like nothing when I'm doing my tricep extensions, cause all I'm carried, all I care about is the weight. That's a problem. I think like, that's not what you yeah. want. Right. So, and like you mentioned, even, even if with some of these compounds to a degree, like, to be honest, when I work in the four to six rep range, I still get a pump. Like when I, with my dumbbell presses, with my rows, yeah. like I'll get a pump still. So that shows you or tell, that should tell you something like, okay, if you look at it, you're like, oh, this guy's really controlling the eccentrics. Maybe there's a lot of experience there that that makes sense. But if you're looking at someone else and they're just ripping through it, sloppy, just, you know, it just the, the load is just smashing their chest at the bottom with no yeah. control of the eccentric. How are you going to get a pump doing that? It's not going to happen, right? If that's to a degree your concern, if you yeah. want to play that game, right? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's it. It's, it's very different of getting a pump and experiencing that in the gym as opposed to just chasing for the sake of it, just literally doing it for no other reason. And I think right. I don't go into the gym going, right, I'm going to get a pump for my chest. This is what I'm going to work towards it's a byproduct and it tells me that I'm doing exercises that are targeting that muscle. And you're right. You do a heavy set of five or six and you should be able to feel that that muscle's worked hard and you should be able to feel some kind of tightness or pump. But yeah, you know, that's, that's not something that I would. And that's another thing that I wrote down is that I'm not chasing a pump. I don't go in there thinking, how am I going to get a really good pump today? Um, Instead I'm focusing on, am I going to do better? How am I going to overload the muscle um, from last week or, you know, two weeks ago and kind of really kind of making sure that I'm progressing in, in the way that I'm training and the way that I'm performing um, nice. and not letting the execution side of it go downhill. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. on this topic, but to, you know, cause I can go, I can keep going with this one, but I want to transition for a second here because the split that you used to yeah. win that world championship title, what was it specifically? Five day split. And it's basically a take on push pull legs. And then the fourth and fifth session is another push session. And then it's a posterior chain session. So it's back, um, glutes, hamstrings, calves, uh, two rest days taken in that. But sometimes I'll have three. So it's not, you know, I have to do one body part or one session on a certain day of the week. Um, I'll just do it in an order. And when it falls, it falls. But yeah, so chest focused push followed by a back uh, with biceps and then followed by a leg session, then usually a rest day, then a shoulder focused push session. But I'll make sure that I do a little bit more upper chest, particularly for me, because that's kind of where I felt I needed to try and add a little bit more muscle. And then it would be, yeah, areas that I'm targeting on my back. So focusing on rear delts, lower lats, along with the kind of the extra hamstring and glute work. Um, and then obviously calves again, because they're always a point to work on. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
So basically, you're hitting everything twice a week, pretty much. Pretty much. The quads. The only things, I think quads yeah. are the only things that don't get um, twice. But I just make sure that when I do legs, it's a quad-focused leg session. And when I'm training my quads on that day, I just make sure that I kind of absolutely annihilate them. They take longer to recover anyway. So for me, that works um, based on my weak points um, and the areas that I was trying to bring up. Okay. And those three days in a row, do you feel some days or some weeks that by the third session you're somewhat fatigued or is it no problem for you your recovery is on point generally it's okay um by the end of the three days i feel knackered so i definitely need a day off but if if i feel like i've done the back day and actually i'm not not recovered or you know something's gone wrong and my recovery's not been great or if i haven't slept well and i just think you know what this isn't going to go well i'll take an extra day i'll take a rest day um, I'm not tied to having a certain session on a certain day of the week. I think it's just, it's kind of important to listen to your body. And that's something that I've, I've kind of learned over time because I really like training. I love training. Um, I've had periods of time when I've spent two and a half, three hours in a gym, um, just kept going and going and going. I've done six days a week. I've done two a days. I've done all sorts of things. Um, and I think what I've learned is that it's not necessarily a case of just doing more. Um, for the sake of it or because I really enjoy it it's about trying to be a little bit smarter with it and thinking right I need to do enough but I don't want to do too much um, in terms of just the amount I'm training um, and the frequency of it so yeah it's it's putting the intensity in and that's what it's allowed me to do is just ramp up the intensity within that hour that I'm training um, and then make sure that I am taking the rest days when I need to um, because again, that's something that I just didn't do in the past because nice. it's boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say nice as far as not following a seven day per week calendar. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, that's random, right? Like if you really want to play that philosophical, it makes game, no sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. So why is not, man, man, if it was an eight day week, like yeah. then all of a sudden you see these all, all these different versions of a split that fit in within seven now fit into an eight. So it's kind of like, you got to. Yeah, I think the most important thing, like you mentioned, is how you're recovering between sessions and paying attention to that because that's the most important thing that's going to drive progress anyways, right? Exactly. And that's that's it. I think you look at it and there's, you know, you got to focus on is my sleep kind of on point? Am I getting that eight hours um, or is that suffering? Um, Is my food good? Is my food high? Have I got enough going in? Um, Obviously, with prep, that's a little bit different and you've kind of got to manage that. but um, especially in an off season, it should be a case that you're you're eating plenty of food and that's helping you recover. Um, right. Because you know, as a natural bodybuilder, that's kind of it. You got to focus on sleep, food, training, and then all the other things are kind of little extras like getting plenty of steps or kind of your activity around that, supplements and stuff like that. But yeah, sleep, food, and training—they're kind of your tools. Yes, yes. You mentioned yeah. the chest day. You said compound isolation compound and then you'll go into triceps uh i would then do maybe a little bit shoulder work so i'd do some delt work as well and then triceps my first so at the moment i've also had like weighted chest dips um so that's something that i've put in so it's another pressing movement and it's that's kind of my lower chest exercise but it also obviously is quite heavily uses the triceps as well so that kind of starts off that but Obviously, there's some overlap. So your triceps would be quite, you know, fatigued by the time you get to the isolation work at the end. But I mainly target them through 
the pressing movements as well. So that's after the sh- little bit of shoulder work that you do. Then you'll hit the the dips, and then you'll do the isolation triceps. Usually, I usually do them just before. So I'll do on that chest day. I'll do with chains sort of around my neck just to make sure yeah. that it's pulling me forward a bit, and it looks cool. Um, it does. But- <laughs> the main thing is obviously it helps me lean forward and then I'm trying to really drive through my chest and keeping my elbows in as well. But yeah, so that that will target lower chest, that will target triceps. And then I'll do a little bit of delt isolation work. So lateral raises with either a cable or some dumbbells, but all quite strict form and then go into tricep kind of isolation stuff with the cables. So with the dips, you do that once a week usually? I do. So I do once a week with the chains around my neck leaning right forward and then i'll do it on the delts day but more upright without any weights but i'll do that at the end of the workout as like a finisher Mm. so that'll be my last exercise on that day but it's more upright and that's more just to kind of burn the triceps out at the end gotcha that's that gymnast background man i know you love those dips right (laughs) we we used to do sets of 50 dips when we were like 12 years old so we right. do those at the end of a session after a four-hour training session. We'd be doing dips and pull-ups all day long and climbing up and down ropes and things. So, yeah, that's, awesome. that's the gymnast so, in there. Yeah, yeah. So when you're doing the these exercises, specifically these presses, the dips, anything bother your shoulder? If you stick within the right rep range and you're doing things smart with your execution and programming, yeah. you don't have any joint pain with your pre-existing no, I, history? I find it it works for me and yeah like you say it's it's built it building it up over time and also really controlling the movement so i'm not i'm not dropping into the sort of the bottom position of the dip i luckily i've got quite good shoulder sort of mobility still but yeah i find that leaning forward more as well and putting it through my chest as much as possible has been good in terms of taking the stress off my shoulder but i've kind of just built it up over kind of years yeah. so it's something my body's used to doing Right, right, right. And the upright version, I mean, that's obviously going to be different as far as where you're going to feel that. And no joint problems. I would assume if you did, you wouldn't be doing them, right? Yeah, that's it. And if if I do ever get joint problems with an exercise, I either look at can I modify it or change it? Do I need to take a bit of time off it? Do I need to reduce the load? Or do I just take it out completely for a bit? Um, And then bring it back um, later. And then, yeah, I'll look at bringing it back and then give it a sort of a feel and see if I, I kind of need to carry on with it or not. And, you know, I think another important thing is not getting carried away with the volume on some of this stuff, too, because I've gotten carried away with volume, like doing way too many sets. And especially if they're high intensity sets, really close to failure type stuff, or if you're really psycho, maybe to failure. And yes, it can be done. It's just not sustainable. You will get hurt before anything else happens, most likely. But if you're controlling the volume, then usually that's a very important influence on injuries as well especially the more chronic stuff that starts to pop up the joint stuff and the tendon type stuff that starts to get irritated so something to consider for the listeners like you're doing two sets two really hard sets and that's that's it really you're moving on to the next exercise right and that's it and with the chest dips are the ones with the chains i've dropped it down to one set but it's going to be it'll be a triple drop set so i'll start with the two chains on i'll do that till you know failure and then I'll hop off, I'll take a chain off and I'll go back up and I'll probably get six, seven, eight more reps. And then mm-hmm. I'll take the chains off again and then just do it with body weight to complete failure. And that one set I get more from than doing two or three just straight sets with that exercise. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you've tweaked that in that way. The next thing I was going to ask you was 
on, so that's your chest day. That's your first push day. Then with the isolation tricep exercises, are you doing like just cable stuff at the end there? Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty much just cable. And I think that's something that obviously I've looked at a lot of what people have kind of putting out in terms of stability, looking at making sure that it's all aligned and you're kind of hitting the triceps from different angles. They, by that point, they've done sort of a lot of pressing uh, movements. They've done their heavier work. Um, so it's just kind of finishing them off. Um, and I'll do, I'll vary different ways. I've got, um, you know, like the long straps where you kind of put your hands in and I'll do those. Generally, I'll do an overhead movement after that. So really sort of stretch them out, target kind of that long head. And it's just making sure that when I do that, I'm really allowing it to stretch in kind of the length and position and then squeezing through the contraction all the way through the rep. But yeah, so I'll, I'll do that to kind of finish off. I'll do a couple of sets, two or three sets even with this kind of the the isolation type work. I just find obviously a little bit more volume. You you can do that. You can get away with that. And I find it just works a little bit better. But they're still hard sets and really kind of pushing it to the point where that's there's not another rep in the tank. Yeah. Are you changing the loads with the isolation stuff? Or like similar, sometimes you'll do a straight set, sometimes drop sets. Depends, I guess, right? Yeah. Generally, it's just straight sets with that stuff. So, I mean, with the cable stack, obviously, one one change is it's quite significant so um for me i mean you know i can squeeze out say 12 reps with a certain weight but if i put it up one i can only get five or six if i put it down one i can only get what i can get 20 so i kind of i've got a weight that i'll use and yeah you know by that point you might have pushed it a little bit harder in the dip set you might have had to change the order around you might just be a little bit more fatigued by that point so i don't worry too much about progressing that as a movement i just kind of use it to really finish them off at the end of the session but i'll kind of prioritize what i'm lifting and in kind of kind of like the strength aspect towards the start of the session and then as i go through there's certain exercises that i'm just doing that to try and make sure that i'm really pushing say like the triceps um just to, com- to kind of complete muscular failure at the end so that i feel like they've worked hard okay nice and the pull day so the that's a just pulling so there's no legs involved in that second day how does what's involved there specifically just back and biceps yeah it's just back and biceps um and i think because obviously back you've got so many different parts of your back that you're trying to sort of develop and focus so for me that's kind of that's my full back day um and i give it a lot of attention and then biceps i do two exercises at the end just to finish it off and then i'll do targeted areas of my back that i'm trying to bring up on the second back day in the week so like the posterior day and yeah that's for those listening biceps are like your strong point right like you got yeah that's kind of what you're known for in a way you're like your biceps are crazy right so they're very developed and there's a genetic component there that influences that of course but that's also why you just tackle them on at the end of a, a pull day and you don't even worry about it right yeah i mean that's it they're already like half cooked by that point anyway and I think my biggest challenge when I started, I transitioned from gymnastics to bodybuilding, was trying to make sure that my biceps weren't taking over. So when I was doing any kind of pull downs and things like that, for me, it was a challenge to stop me just pulling through my arms. And that's why I'm sort of a massive advocate of like, you know, putting straps on and really sort of using your arms as hooks and just trying to make sure that you really think about pulling through the back as opposed to just kind of, you know, any old way pulling the weight. For me, that was a big thing in developing my back and what do you like to start with on that pull day do you start with pull downs or pull-ups first 
I will start with generally like a T-bar row. I quite like, yeah, starting with something like that. For me, I have done in the past like a barbell row, but I just find I get on better with the T-bar. We've got an attachment in the gym that's a little bit wider, so it means I can pull up, up a little bit more th- sort of through and the weight's not sort of stabbing me in the chest. So that's been something that I've implemented and really kind of like using. But I will I will load kind of like the spinal erectors a little bit on that day through that T-bar exercise. Everything else is pretty much chest-supported row-wise on that day. So that's okay. my first exercise after I've warmed up with the kind of like cable pull-downs. Oh, okay. So you do do uh, pull-overs. pullovers, yeah. yeah. And you still going to failure with those or is it just a warm-up? It's just a warm-up just to kind of get my back sort of engaged so that I can feel, so I'm, you know, put a bit of blood in my lats and make sure I can actually feel the muscles contracting. The first proper, proper working set of the day will be a T-bar row set generally. If I can't get onto it though, I'll, switch it around but if i walk into an empty gym that's where i'll start got it that's not chest supported that t-bar row no not the first one yeah that's kind of pulling a little bit more into the hip and then i'll do a chest supported high row so that's again that's kind of working more along the top line of my back trying to focus on that and like rear delts as well okay and then after those two rowing exercises what do you do after that is did you go into the biceps no so i'll do there's like a close grip pull down and again, that's something that I started to implement using a close grip pull down instead of wide grip. It's one of those things that you hear when you first walk into the gym that, you know, this is going to grow your you know, wide back, wide grip, for wide back, and then a close grip sort of yeah. for all the muscles in the middle. And it's like, it doesn't work like that at all. But I've, I haven't done a wide grip lat pull down for a while. I'll do a pull up with a wider grip. But if I'm using a pull down, I'll try and get um, sort of a close grip and really focus on squeezing through. Yeah, so that's that's one of my other exercises. And then a front pull-down machine as well. I like to do a single arm front pull-down too. Oh, right, the, the hammer row. I saw you doing that once in the stories. Yeah. What I've really gotten into is um, sort of, because obviously it's quite fixed in a certain path, but it's trying to move my body so that that comes as close to me as possible, even twisting away from the machine so it's coming across, across around my rib cage. And I find that, you know, if you really let that stretch at the top, that's really nice to kind of get through into the whole lap. So, I, yeah, I like that. I'll do a couple of hard sets on each side on that. And then you go into the biceps. Just before that, one, oh, okay. one more. Um, <laughs> I do like a dumb, uh, dumbbell pullover. So like an old school oh, one. Right. So I like that to, again, at the end of the training session, just to really stretch out. And I'll only do like a partial rep. So... I'm not even lifting the weight above my head just to kind of keep the lat sort of stretched at the bottom and allow it to kind of hang a little bit there and then just kind of pull through it a little bit. But just a set or two on that, usually I think just one set. And again, that's it's not like I'm really pushing the weight on it or anything like that. It just, I found that it helps me open, open out my back again and sort of really stretches out my shoulders after I've trained them. Um, right, right. And then bicep exercises. Gotcha. But the pullover, you mentioned you don't go too heavy on that. Obviously, you're in the end range. Uh, the load is the heaviest in the end range. Do you yeah. get some soreness the next day from something like that? No, I did find at the beginning it felt like um, not like a, almost like a tearing sensation um, just mm. as it was stretching. But it wasn't anything too bad. And I kept the weight nice and light. But that's not there anymore. Um, okay. And I think and that was only in sort of my bad shoulder. So I think it's actually sort of freed up the joint a little bit. But I noticed as well when I started posing after doing that, because my 
sort of my bad shoulder still has a tendency to kind of roll in a little bit to collapse in but it did kind of help a little bit with that and it felt like it just my shoulders and everything kind of just felt a little bit more sort of stretched out a little bit more open but I don't know if that's just the fact that I was posing more but I find that doing that hanging from a bar stuff like that it does help with my sort of shoulders because they're not in the best of health which uh it's quite inspiring that you're still training really hard you can build this world-class physique with even these pre-existing injuries and you're not the only one obviously I've spoken to so many elite level bodybuilders natural bodybuilders that uh, have their fair share of concerns going on concerns I don't know if you want to call it that but we'll say injuries past injuries we'll say going on that if you're not doing things in a meticulous way and you're not doing things in a way that makes sense for your body they can start to creep up on you or pop up on you so obviously that's going to take a lot of trial and error education there's so many things that influence how you make good decisions in the gym for the listeners of course but um yeah it's encouraging to hear that like look you're doing it man like you're not just sitting on the sidelines because yo you had a shoulder injury like some people will just quit you know but like you mentioned you love to train so there's a lot of things that go into this right when we're talking about consistency and dedication right we got a visitor (laughs) yeah this is teddy nice Awesome. With the pullover, how heavy is that yeah. dumbbell that you're using? Just curious. Yeah, I mean, generally I'll stick to it. It's about 30 kilos. So it's about a 70 pound okay. dumbbell. I've pushed it up and gone up to like a 40 kilo dumbbell. But again, I didn't feel anything. It didn't really benefit me in any way. Um, pushing the weight on it. It's For me, it's more about letting the weight hang. So it's getting comfortable in that stretch position and really sort of letting it extend and pull my shoulder out. And then yeah just using the lat in its really really sort of stretch position but um yeah for me that was kind of that was it but it's more of a shoulder health thing for me I think it just helps um keep everything ticking over but like you say that injury for me was kind of like a career ending injury for gymnastics that that was my exit from the sport and I knew uh, I couldn't do gymnastics again on it but learning to train in a way that worked for me and and bodybuilding training kind of that was my rehab back to kind of fitness um after that and it's not about kind of those injuries at the end of being able to compete or being able to do anything i think you've just got to learn to manage them to work around them which is something that if you get that right over those years kind of like you say is it's the longevity of it is being able to do it for as long as possible and not burning out you know in a few yeah. years trained in a certain way yeah absolutely and sometimes you know you try new things and you start going down this path that maybe doesn't even make sense but you have to try sometimes you gotta you gotta get that out of your system but if you can avoid it better obviously like you mentioned going tapping into the singles and the doubles uh if your body's not built for that and that's not something that feels natural to you don't do it don't do it because rob hope does it you know like yeah yeah Uh, so it's it's worked for him and he's built an incredible physique through it and i think it's different for different people so it's not a case of this is something that if you train like this you will end up like this in 10 years and it, it doesn't work for everybody. It also, so you know, you can train in another way and it just wouldn't work for other yeah. people. So it's finding what suits you and what suits your body, what suits your pre-existing injuries, what suits your lifestyle and, and kind of working with that and, and trying to get the most out of, uh, out of that way of training. I love it, man. On the leg day, you also, if correct me if I'm wrong though, but you also do a pre-fatigue, right? Where you hit the leg extensions before the squats or do you not doing that anymore so again that was something that i played with and i'll i'll change things around and i'll go right you know squats weren't going so well so how can i make it 
you know, that I'm not challenging my lower back quite as much or is there a way that I can do this? And I, I played around with that. I went back to just doing the squats first. So okay. for me, I'll, I'll do a heavy set of barbell squats at the start of the session. I think I really enjoy squatting. I really enjoy barbell squats. It's it's not that it's the most optimal exercise in the world. And I think that you have to do it because I think there are all sorts of different ways you can build a good set of legs. But I think for me, it, it works. It's It's an exercise that I enjoy doing. I've modified my technique so that I'm getting it, you know, making sure that I'm maximizing the impact that it has on my quads and I'm going to start building up the weight again on that but I will do another squat exercise so I'm doing the pendulum squat because our gym got one a year ago so I've started to implement that but that will be kind of my secondary squat exercise so I'll do a barbell squat heavy set to start with I'll then do RDLs and a little bit of like single leg leg press and stuff like that Um, and then at the end of the workout I'll do a couple of sets on the pendulum squat that are lighter and more sort of targeted towards kind of really kind of burning out and finishing off the quad. So it's finding what and, I enjoy. Yeah. And the leg extensions, where do you slide those in? Are you not doing those right now? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll put them in. Um, they'll go just before the pendulum squats. So ah. generally. Um, so again, that's kind of my sort of pre fatigue for those. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'll do, I always do those single leg because and again I do I try and do a lot of my leg stuff single leg because I had the ACL injury to try and make sure that I get rid of any imbalance with sort of the size of my legs because I do have one leg that's slightly bigger than the other and slightly stronger than the other so it's trying to manage that so for me that's why my leg training might look slightly different to someone else's because of injuries that I've got or had and that's also an advantage to the switching from the flat barbell bench to the dumbbells as well, right? So each arm can kind of do its own thing and move independently, right? Exactly, yeah. I found it more comfortable with, obviously, my shoulder joint, but also, yeah, that's it. It's challenging both sides sort of unilaterally, and and you can make sure that you haven't got a weak link kind of in your physique. And if, if you notice that, if you notice that, I don't know, one delt is bigger than the other or, you know, you've got an imbalance from left to right, I think, yeah, switching to single side or single arm, single leg, single whatever, and focusing on doing both sides and making sure that they are both kind of even in strength and that you're kind of, you're not cheating it by just pushing through one side more than the other. That's a really good way of modifying your program, sort those imbalances. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And with the rep ranges, are you doing pretty much similar rep ranges between all the days? Like I know some people have a heavier day and then a lighter day. But you're not doing that, right? Not massively. In the session, I'll do um, lower rep ranges and I'll do higher. So I will have exercises. Generally, I'll start with the lower rep ranges and then I'll work towards higher. But it does Got depend it. on the exercise. But like a leg extension, I'm not going to do a low rep range because right. for me, it's, it's about contracting and squeezing at the top. But if I'm talking a barbell squat, then I'm going to keep that relatively low um, and try and put more a little bit more load through. Say someone's listened to this and they've had their fair share of injuries and maybe they've associated that injury with a specific exercise because that's where they felt the issue. What do you have to say to someone who wants to start flirting with going back to that exercise, but is has a bit of a fear around it? Like I know you kind of, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about here, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I was with deadlifts. And it was something that I'd, yeah, I kept coming back to and going, I really should be doing this because I'm seeing how beneficial it can be. And Obviously, it's cool to just be able to pick up a lot of weight um, off the floor, but 
it, it was something that I think I had to completely take out my ego from from the lift and you know the weight of the bar and just you know start really light lighter than you think you need to go and then thinking about how your technique and like movement pattern can be adjusted to try and work around it or or to build up because ultimately the reason I didn't like deadlifts was because I wake up the next day and my lower back would be sore and that was a technique issue so for me it was about technique it was about building strength in the right places and allowing time for my body to get used to it so you know I could walk into a gym and I could pull 200 kilos but I'd feel it whereas now I can do that and I wake up the next day and it's like I haven't done it I could go back and do it again and it's not a lot of weight to some but for me that was that was a fair amount of weight on a deadlift and I think giving yourself that time where you're pulling I don't know 140 160 kilos but just doing it for reps doing it controlled and just focusing on making sure that you're training the muscles correctly that's going to get you to a point where you can do it comfortably pain-free without that risk of re-injury but I think as a bodybuilder it's not a case of pulling as much weight as possible it's about pulling as much weight as possible as well as possible and targeting the muscle as much as you can so that's something that I've learned is the weight is important to me and my logbook, but it's irrelevant to, you know, the next person that's doing the same exercise. Well said, man, that is a perfect way to end it off. I love it. For those who want to get in touch with you, maybe they have a question, maybe they're interested in, well, you're not coaching, right? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a little bit. So I've just launched it. Nice. There you go. Okay. So for anyone who wants to get in touch with you specifically about coaching, Congrats on that, by the way. Where's the best place they can reach you? Instagram. So at Mitch Jarv on Instagram. It's a private account, but as long as you're not a school kid, I will accept you. <laughs> nice. Yes. And for those listening who haven't tuned into part one, go check that out first. And who may not know, Mitch is a teacher. That's why he is saying that. So don't be afraid. Go check out his account. Give him a follow. We're going to put the link in the description. Thank you so much, Mitch. I truly enjoyed it. Always a pleasure to chat with you. I look forward to seeing you on the natural Mr. Olympia stage where you're going to take first place, man. I know it. Fingers crossed. Thanks for having me on the podcast again, Kenny. Absolutely, man. And for those tuning in, thank you so much. Make sure to check out the At Longevity Muscle YouTube channel. Subscribe. It does help to grow the channel and the show. We appreciate that. Make sure to share the episode if you enjoyed it. Tag us both on Instagram. And we'll catch you in the next one. 